Like a river glorious will stand sing after the introduction and nursery can go out on the second verse. 287. please and turn to Romans chapter 13 as we return back to the book of Romans after all our holidays and everything else turn back to Romans Romans we'll do Romans in the evenings when I preach and uh, continue our study on the character of God in the mornings when I preach but uh, Romans chapter 13 let's just read the first seven verses of Romans 13 let your soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. 
and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. Wherefore ye must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. For for this cause pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually unto the very thing. Render therefore to all their Jews, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you tonight that we can come together around your word. We do pray that as we open up your word that you'd enable us to have understanding of its truth. Lord God, you give me wisdom to share that which I've studied, that Lord God, that I would speak only your truth, that you would receive the glory. Lord, we pray that you'd help our study of your word tonight to be a blessing to us. And that, Lord God, that you'd allow us to see you in it. That we might leave this place praising you, Father God, for your word and for the God that you are. Would you pray that you bless now and guide our time in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 13 is the classic passage in all the Bible and how you and I as believers are to relate to governments, to our government. And last time... You probably don't remember this, but last time we saw firstly the command to submit in verse 1, which says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. There is no power but of God, the powers that be are ordained of God. The command, let every soul be subject unto higher powers. We said that this command raises many issues for the believer, especially for those who are suffering under the unjust and corrupt regimes. You know, remember when Paul writes this, book of Romans, he's writing during the time of the ungodly Roman Empire, led by the ungodly emperor Nero. And yet God in this passage calls upon the believers and all believers to submit, and that means they're to submit even to the Roman government. That's the command here. And the prince, this principle of submission was adhered to by the early Christians. Despite their cruel treatment that they received at the hands of the Romans, they didn't organize armed resistance. They didn't organize alternative governments to undermine those in authority. They simply obeyed their governments. Pastor Mitchell in his notes puts it this way, they may have broken those unjust rules imposed that forbade worship, but that was because a higher law called for their submission. They still submitted to the government, though, in respect to accepting the judgments imposed upon them for breaking the law. They admitted that they broke the law and submitted to their punishments. And so even when they broke the law because they were banned from worshipping and they worshipped in public and they were punished, they accepted the judgment of the government of the time. See, the issue that Paul addresses here is one of the law, rule of law. Because it's good for any nation, that there is a proper order of rule of law. There's a proper order is maintained. 
If a ruler or government abuses their God-given authority, God will judge them. And then we started to look at the reasons for the command to submit. The first of those reasons is there in verse 1. It says, for there is no power but of God. The second reason in verse 1 is the powers that be ordained, uh, that be are ordained of God. Now tonight we're going to try and look at the rest of the reasons in verses 2 through 7 in this passage. So firstly tonight, we're to submit to those in authority over us because to resist them is to resist God. Look in verse 2. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. Paul writes here the general rule when it comes to government is this. When it comes to the issue of submitting to governments, the general rule is that rebelling against the government is like rebelling against God. The word resist here in verse is to set oneself against, to arrange yourself in battle against. And since the powers that be are ordained of God, to resist them is to set ourselves against God. It's to arrange ourselves against God in battle. And that is not a good idea. See, if we resist them, then in effect we are saying to God, you don't know what you're doing. God says, I've placed government in position. In fact, God ordained three institutions. God ordained the family, ordained the church, and he ordained the government. And in this case, he's talking about our responsibility to government, that third institution he ordained. And he says, if you resist the government, then you're resisting me. In fact, in effect, you're saying to God that God doesn't know what he's doing when God said that he's placing government in place for our benefit. The apostle is not thinking of blind obedience here. Nor is he talking about some uncritical obedience whereby we automatically do everything we're told to do. There is nothing wrong with questioning the decisions of government. There's nothing wrong with you and I debating the decisions of government. There's nothing wrong with you and I even disagreeing with the decision of government. And if we're asked to do something contrary to God's word, then according to Acts chapter 5, verse 29, we ought to obey God rather than men. So there's not even a blanket statement here whereby we're even to obey the government even when they disobey, want us to disobey God. One commentator said, in general, the New Testament teaches that we should submit to those in authority over us, yet submission on the human level is never absolute, and is never is it more important than submission to God. Having said that, the governing principle when it comes to government and the rule of law is that we don't resist them. Turn with me to 1 Peter, please. 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. Peter puts it clear. He says, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. Peter makes the same statement that Paul makes here in Romans chapter 13. We're to submit to every ordinance of men, 
Why? For the Lord's sake. And under governors, as under them that are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers, we're to submit to them. And Romans chapter 13 and verse 2 goes on to explain that if we refuse to submit, if we refuse to obey, then we will suffer the consequences. Because notice what it says at the end of verse 2. And they that resist shall be received then to themselves damnation. Now the word damnation here means judgment or condemnation. And the idea is that this judgment will come from God through the human instrumentality. If you and I fail to submit to governments, fail to those in power, then you and I will suffer the consequence of that disobedience. The consequence of judgment from God through the human instrumentality. In other words, if you break the law, we can expect to suffer the consequence of the law. If we go down the highway and we decide we're going to speed, we're not going to obey the law, because we don't think the law is right, we think it's dumb that they want us to do an 80 along the stretch of the road, when it really should be 100, maybe even 110, so we're just going to do our own thing, so we put the foot down because we think uh, they've got it wrong. So we're doing 100, and then you see those lights and you know, rear vision mirror, and you hear the siren, and they pull you over, and you get a fine for speeding along the road, then you should have expected that, and I should have expected that if we were speeding. Because the law says that we're to be doing 80 in that zone, if we're doing any more than that, then we're breaking the law. And therefore, we will receive the judgment of God via the instrumentality of the human government. The same goes, you know, if we steal. And uh, we will caught for stealing, then we will suffer the consequence of the law, because we broke the law. And whenever we break the law... Whenever we go against the law of the land, we will suffer consequences. We'll suffer the consequence of the disobedience. And in verse 2 here, Paul is explaining that those who resist shall receive judgment from God through the civil powers that he has ordained. God has established the government, and we're to obey the government. If we don't, we will disobey, we'll be judged by God via that government. Pastor Mitchell said this, Paul draws a very clear line here for all to see. Those who resist or stand opposed to the authorities are resisting the ordinance of God and therefore receive damnation, that is, judgment for it. Now his reason for this command is given in the next verse. And that reason is because they are seeking to do good, not evil. Notice what he says in verse 3, for the rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. The rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. What he says here is those in authority are called rulers, which means those who are ruling. Those who are ruling are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Paul tells us the reason God has ordained them is not for them to be a terror or something to be feared to the good works, but simply be feared for the evil works. They're not a terror to good works. That means that if you do good works, if you obey the laws of the Lamb, 
then the government won't judge you. The government won't punish you. It's as simple as that. If you obey the law, you won't be punished. If you obey the law, you won't be judged. They're not a terror to good works. They're not a terror to evil. Break the law and we will be punished. He goes on to say, Wilt thou then? Notice what he says in this verse. He says, For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? In other words, do you wish to live without fear? Do you, do you wish to not be ever always looking over your shoulder, wondering whether or not the government's going to come and get you? Then practice good. And the result will be the authorities will praise you. That's what he says here. This is the promise of God. He says, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? You don't want to be afraid? Well, then do that which is good. And thou shalt have praise of the same. And notice the word thou here. He says, wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? The thou here is addressing the question of individuals. He's saying to you and I as individuals, if we do the right thing, if we obey the law, then generally speaking, the government will leave us alone. And he goes to explain why in verse 4. And he says, because he is a minister of God. Look at verse 4. For he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, or a revenger to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. He is the minister of God. The word minister there is the Greek word diakonos, which simply means servant. The government officials, God says, the government ministers, God says, are the servants of God given to us for our good. They're God's representatives. In a sense, just like we're God's representatives, they stand as God's representatives. Now, they may not be godly. The Roman government certainly wasn't. There's no way no Nero was a godly Caesar, a godly ruler. But God says of the Roman government in this context, and speaking about Caesar, he says they are the government, those who minister, are his ministers. He is the minister of God to thee for good. It's hard to get your head around that, isn't it? Here is this corrupt Roman government with a corrupt Roman leader by the name of Nero, and yet God is asking the believers in the early church to submit themselves to that governmental rule because God has allowed that government to stand for their good, to punish evil and not punish good. Now we know that all regimes and even that Roman government started to persecute Christians for doing godly things. But generally speaking, the government stands for our good. They're servants of God. They're doing God's work, and they're given by God for our good. And the reason for that is this. Anarchy is never a good thing. Everybody doing that which is right in their own eyes never works. Just read the book of Judges. The book of Judges shows that when everybody does that which is right in their own eyes, it doesn't work. When there is no government, when there is no rule of law, when anarchy exists, society does not benefit. 
When anarchy exists, society is the worst for it. When there's a rule of law, society is better for it. And God says, I have placed government in place. This is my third institution in order they might establish the rule of law so that, that may, indeed they might minister as my representatives for your good to punish evil and help us to have a good society. There must be rule of law. It's for our good. Now the opposite is also true. If we do that which is evil, we ought to be afraid, because as it says in verse 4, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. Why? For he is a minister of God. So disobey the law, and you'll experience the edge of the sword, metaphorically. You'll suffer the consequence of that. Why? Because he's God's minister. God will punish evil. And he uses the government in this context to be part of that vengeance, part of that avenger. Because he says that, for he is the minister of God, our revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. They act on God's behalf to punish those who do evil. They're there to exact the revenge that we are to give place to Back in verse 19. Notice what it says in verse 19 in the previous chapter. It says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. That's the principle. We're not to seek revenge. We're not supposed to. We're supposed to give place to wrath, because vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now he tells us how he's going to enact that vengeance. He says that the government, the woes who are in ruling over us, they're God's ministers, and they bear the sword. Why? For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. God says, I've given governments as the means by which I will execute revenge, I will execute vengeance on those who disobey. It's not your place. As believers, there is no place for Christian vigilantes. We're simply supposed to give place to wrath and let God deal with those who need to be dealt with. Now, Some might then ask, what about the Old Testament idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Well, that's still God's way. It's just that the one whose eye has been removed must let God take the eye of the evildoer. We've got to let God deal with it. We're not, we're not to take responsibility for revenge ourselves. In fact, we're told, aren't we, to love our enemies, pray for those who despitefully use us. So the principle is that you and I are to give place to wrath. We're not supposed to enact vengeance upon those who wrong us, who do wrong by us. But we're to let God deal with that, and God often deals with that through the law, through the rulers through government. God will in his time, in his way, deal with those who disobey him. And this is the principle of the government that God's given to us. And lastly, we have to submit to governments also because of conscience sake. Look at verse 5. 
Wherefore you must needs be subject not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. Wherefore, says Paul, based upon what I've just told you, based upon the fact that you must need subject to the higher powers, based upon the fact that the rulers that I've given to you are given of God, and therefore we're to submit to those rulers, those governments, based upon that fact, we're to submit to them not only because of fear of punishment, but because we know it's right before God. Notice what he says. Wherefore, you must needs be subject, not only for wrath, not because you fear the, the judgment, but also for conscience sake. Now, for conscience sake means Christian obedience to the state is never blind. It obeys with the eyes of conscience wide open. One commentator put it this way, Paul makes it clear that Christian submission to those of authority ought not to be just because we fear the wrath of the higher power may be able to wield against those who resist them, but as a Christian we must submit for conscience sake as well, that is because it's right. We're to submit to those in authority because it's the right thing to do. If anybody ought to live by the rule of law, it ought to be the believer. If anybody ought to do that which is legislated, it ought to be the believer. Generally speaking, unless what they're asking to do is contrary to the word of God, contrary to God, contrary to what God requires of us to do, we have a responsibility as good citizens to live by the rule of law. We ought to set the example. For conscience sake, because it's the right thing to do. This means we're not obeying the laws of the land only because we fear the punishment. You know, we're not only going along the road at the speed limit because we fear the consequence, we really don't want to pay the fine, but we're going along the road at the speed limit because it's the right thing to do. We don't steal because it's the right thing to do. We don't do all the other things because it's the right thing to do. You and I do right because it's the right thing to do. You and I obey the laws of the land because that's the right thing to do. That's the conscience sake that we're doing it for the glory of God. This especially applies when we feel as though we can get away with something without being caught. And do right only when we fear being caught. We do right because to resist the higher power and the laws it establishes is to resist God. We do right because we know that if we're doing wrong, we're disobeying God. That's why it says in Acts, we ought to obey God rather than men, okay? So here's the authority, God's authority, man's authority. But whatever man's authority and God's authority do not in con contravene each other, we are to obey. We are to live by the rule of law. Because the government was given for our benefit. We may not think so at times. We may not think some of the laws are for our benefit at times. We may not even like some of the laws. But if those laws do not stand in direct contradiction of the word of God, then we ought to submit. That's what he's telling the Romans, they're sitting there in the Roman Empire with Nero as their Caesar, an ungodly, debauched government, and yet they're to obey the laws of the land. 
And the only time you find in the New Testament they disobeyed was when they were asked to not worship God, even though that was commanded of God to do so. So as long as what they're asking us to do doesn't contravene any direct command of God, we ought to obey the rule of law. We must obey to maintain a clear conscience. Being subject to the higher powers not only covers a matter of revenge, but also that of tribute, the matter of paying taxes. Seems like the first century Christians had similar issues to paying taxes as most of us have. It says in verse 6, For this cause, for everything I've just said, for the reason of everything I've just said, the higher powers are the ministers of God and they execute judgment. For this cause, pay tribute also. They are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Being God's ministers also entitles the higher powers to exact tribute. They have a God-driven right to charge us taxes. That's what it says here. <laughs> I mean, you and I might not like the taxes. We may not like that fact, but the Word of God says it clearly here. That's what it says in verse uh, 6. For this cause pay ye tribute also. For they are God's ministers, attending continually upon the very thing. For this cause. There's a reference to being a minister of God. For there to be order in a society, there has to be executive authority. And to be God's servants, the authorities need resources to fulfill their functions of governing. That's why God's way of these ministering servants being able to function is for those they minister to, to pay them. In other words, to show that we are subject to the higher powers and as proof and evidence of our subjection to them, we do and ought to pay tribute to them. Taxes are ordained of God. Because, you see, they're needful to pay the government. But they're also needful, aren't they, to pay for the provisions of government. You and, all, you and I all want health care. You and I want education. You and I appreciate welfare. Those of us who are getting a little older appreciate the fact that one day there's a pension available for us too. We all want that. Somebody's got to pay it and we expect the government to pay it. Then someone's got to pay the government in order that money's available to pay for those things. And that's why God said that we're to pay tribute to them. Somebody said, just like the priest lives off the temple and the pastor lives off the church, the government lives off the people. They're God's ministers. They were put there by God. And notice it says about them that they're continually, they're attending continually upon this thing. That is, they're continually attending to their ministry. They're continually attending to the service under God for the welfare of their subjects. In Romans chapter 13 and verse 7, Paul expressed the same sentiment the Lord expressed in Matthew 22, 21. Look at Matthew 22. Matthew 22. And verse 21. And this is what the Lord said. Yeah, 
You know the story. The, the Pharisees, let's pick it up in verse 15, that way we will get the story. It says, Then went out the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought him a penny. And he said unto them, Whose is the image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then he said unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things that Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And when they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. He said, Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. And Paul says the same thing in verse 7, effectively. He says, Render therefore to all their Jews tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. The phrase their Jews, there in verse 7, Render therefore to, their, to all their Jews is render them what they're owed. Whatever the government has imposed by way of taxation, then render to that government what is owed. And then he spells it out for them. He says, render, therefore, to all what they are owed. Here it is, tribute to whom tribute is due, custom to whom custom. The word tribute is a tax imposed upon persons of property annually. The word custom is a poll tax which was often levied on merchandise and travellers, GST, if you like, in a modern language. And what he says is if the law requires you to pay tax, then it is our duty to do so. Not for wrath's sake, but for conscience' sake. It's the right thing to do. Then he says, fear to whom fear, honour to whom honour. Fear here is respect for the position of the person the authority may hold. We show respect to those in authority. The word honor is having appropriate response to the person in authority. Appropriate response to that person's position. Look at 1 Timothy, please. 1 Timothy, chapter 2. First Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 1. I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving thanks be made to all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. We're supposed to try and seek to live in a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty under the governments. Look in first Peter chapter two and verse seventeen, please. First Peter chapter two and verse seventeen. It says, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Once again, honor the king. They were talking about Caesar in this time. Honor the king. Now the difference between honor and fear here in verse 7 is this. Honor denotes reverence or veneration or respect for their names, for their office, for their rank. So we, you know, call the government officials by what they are. It's the prime minister, it's the deputy prime minister, 
it's the leader of the opposition, we give them their titles. You know, in society, it's got away from doing a lot of that these days, but that's what God says we ought to do. We show respect to them. The word fear is that which arises from the dread of punishment. So we honour them for their office, their position, and we fear them because they have the authority to execute judgment on us for disobedience to the law. This verse 7 sums up our duty which is owed to render to them proper honour. And you know, Romans chapter 13 is probably one of the toughest passages of scriptures for all of us, but could you imagine living in Rome in the day of the first century and the early Christians and they're reading this for the first time, finding out that they have a responsibility to Nero and his government? But you know, they lived that way. They lived under, with respect and honour for the government of the day. See, in summary, it's a Christian's responsibility to submit to those secular powers that God has placed over us. We respect their authority, obey their laws, pay their taxes required to be paid, and let the higher powers exact revenge on our behalf. That's our responsibility. With respect to our government and those who have the rule over us, we should not be disrespectful to them. We might not like the way they govern. We may not like some of the laws they enact. But we're commanded of God to show respect to them. And if we have to disobey the law because of the fact that they have asked us to do something that's contrary to the will of God and the word of God, then we have to accept the consequence of that disobedience. We have to accept the judgment of that disobedience. Because that's what God says. You know, I need to remember, at the very least, we live in a democracy. Paul and the early Christians did not. You know, they had no prospect of a general election. They had no thought that they could ever go to the polls and oust Nero or the Roman government. They lived every day under the shadow of their government with no prospect of ever changing that situation. You and I at least live with the prospect that after the period of time that our government is elected, if we don't like the government, we can always vote against them. And maybe by God's grace, we might get a better government the next time around. But nevertheless, even though they had no prospect of an election, they did submit. And so must we, because that's what God has commanded of us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we do thank you tonight for your word. And Lord, we know that pastors like this are very difficult, Father, for us to get a head around. And Lord, I'm sure for those early Christians, it was even harder for them to get their head around. Lord, I do pray that I have been faithful to your word tonight, explained it as clearly as possible. And to pray that, Father God, that you would get the honor and the praise and that, Lord, we would indeed respect those governments that you've set up, that we'd pray for them like you ask us to, that we'd submit to them, Father God, as a rule of law. And that, 
Lord, that we would indeed uh, pay tribute where tribute is to be paid uh, for your glory. Lord, help us to apply this, your word, to our lives and bring glory to your name, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.